Emergency services. Please, you gotta help me. There's this weird guy. Ma'am. Please. Ma'am, call us when you're dead. What the fuck? Welcome back, callers, to another episode of Call Us When You're Dead. I'm Keith. And I'm Ryan. And on today's episode, we're going to be covering the case of Michael Taylor. But before we get into that, we've got to talk about going to my sister's Halloween party and how much fun that was. Yeah, for sure. So we went to Jackson this past weekend to go see my family because we took a week off from the podcast. We've just decided, hey, it's getting to be a bit much to just be doing week after week after week after week. And then we would end a season and then we were doing that season ramp up. But then we're also doing bonus episodes and we were like, we just kind of need a little bit of a break. And everybody's allowed at least one break. Right, so welcome to season four. Right, so welcome to season four, where we are going to be covering the Devil Made Me Do It cases. So, yeah, headed to Jackson. Yes, yes. So we went to Jackson and got to see my sister and her husband and my mom and stepdad and my grandma and the kids. You and I dressed up like ketchup and mustard, and then those costumes stayed on for, what, ten minutes? Yeah, if that, to get a few... Pictures and whatnot, and then, yeah, those were uncomfortable fucking costumes. Yeah, they were. They were definitely one of those costumes that, like, when we, when we, I didn't, I guess when I bought them, I didn't really think it out well, and I was just like, oh, like, you can't move in any of this. You can't bend over. You can't do anything. Right. So, I was like, yeah, these are coming off now. But then we were still out, like, we went out afterwards, and you and I have the Call Us When You're Dead um, coats that say like podcast host and our hair was pulled back, you know, so just doing what gay couples do, I guess. <laughs> right, right. And all of a sudden this woman stops us and she goes, Are you guys twins? And we were like, No. Right. And she goes, But you are dressed the same. And we went, Right. We're not twins. But we felt like she was so much older that it would have been really weird if we were like, No, we're married. Right, she would she would have cursed us. Right, it was already a really awkward conversation, and it just felt like it was getting more and more awkward by the moment. But then we stopped to a gas station, and there was a young lady there that was like, oh my gosh, what do you guys talk about? And we were like, oh, true crime. And she goes, oh, that's cool, so you let her know where to find us. And now I saw that she's following us, so welcome, thank you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yep, I recognized her face on like one of the new follows that we had. So she's going to become a future shout out. Definitely, definitely. Speaking of shout outs, we have Julia W, Mary S, and Brick W. Thank you all for being callers. We wouldn't be able to do this without all of you for listening each week, unless we're taking a break. Right. So, Ryan and callers, as many of you know, Halloween is just around the corner. And to get all of you into the season, we are going to be doing 10 cases a Again, but they're all going to be around people who committed a crime but claim either a demon or Satan himself made them do it. So, I'm very sure that all of you know what demonic possession is, but for those of you that don't, I looked it up. The actual definition from the American Psychological Association 
which states, quote, Demonic possession is the supposed invasion of the body by an evil spirit or devil that gains control of the mind or soul, producing mental disorder, physical illness, or criminal behavior. Many forms of physical and psychological illness were formally attributed to such possessions, notable epilepsy, schizophrenia, and Tourette's disorder. The traditional remedy for possession was a ritual exorcism. End quote. So, why does this matter? Well, at the end of each episode, we are going to be giving our thoughts on what we think. Is it demonic, or do we think that this person or persons are just using the devil as a reason for why they committed a crime? With all that said, let's get into that trusty time machine and jump across the pond and go to Asset West Yorkshire in 1974, where we're going to be meeting Michael Taylor and his beautiful wife, Christine Taylor. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the time machine at all times. Call us when your dad cannot be responsible for any lost limbs. Michael Taylor is 31 years old at the time with five children and his wife, Christine. He worked as a butcher in the market, and most that came into contact with Michael said that he was a mild-mannered and very kind to them. However, looks and actions don't always show what is truly going on with someone. At some point, Michael got hurt, causing him to lose his job, which would lead him into having depression for some time. He would become withdrawn to the point of not even wanting to talk to his family or friends. Even while fighting off depression, those that knew, Michael said that he was still a caring father and husband. So, did it say what kind of a... Injury he had? Right. As a... Do you want to guess what he had? I mean, as a butcher, I'm just picturing chopping off a finger or something. Nope. His injury is actually very similar to yours. Oh, yeah? He fell and injured his back. Wow. Yep. And it didn't say how he fell. It didn't say if he fell at work. It just said... Slipped on some cow blood. Right. It, it, it just it, There was not enough detail for me to want to add into that, but it just said that he had injured his back um, from a fall. And so you very well know that type of pain that you can go through and what that leads you into. And it causes him in the end to lose his job. Yeah. I want to say I was around 31 too when my, uh, you were, so am I looking into the future right here with this case? I really absolutely hope not. Oh, okay. Because it gets real grim real quick. Man. The town of Asa is what in the States we would call the Bible belt and the Taylor family not being all that devout is not settling well with his neighbors or his friends. One day, a friend of Michael's tells him that he believes his depression is from spiritual forces and gets him and Christine to start going to weekly prayer meetings. This is where we are going to be meeting Marie Robinson. She was just what Michael needed to get him out of his depression as he starts to attend every prayer group meeting or function that they are holding at the church, even going as far as to leaving Christine home alone with the five children while he is gone. He even starts to listen to Marie as she tells the group she has the power to expel demons with the power of God. Oh, jeez. Okay, so... I can already see where this one's going. Right, you know me. I am a full believer in God. I, you know, that's just... I do have that face set. However, you, sir, are not going there all that time because... She just has the power of God. Right. She's younger than your wife, and you think she's pretty, 
and you're now leaving your wife with five children at home while you go visit the real pretty lady that doesn't have children. To pray away your demons. Right, to pray away your demons and your depression. And I'm going to throw some shade about something, and I'm not going to name the names. The people that know about it know about it, and they'll hear about it, and they'll understand. I went to a church that the pastor and another congregant decided they would have meetings in private, and they would close the blinds so when people walked by, nobody could see it. And this pastor would make the secretary leave, and they would have their meetings in the pastor's office when nobody was there and nobody was allowed to come in, but they were praying and fixing that other person's marriage. Right. Praying by pastor is standing on his feet while she's on her knees praying. I'm not saying... Opened mouth with the Bible. Okay. And, oh, Maybe reverse that situation on who the pastor was. <laughs> you would be correct because it was not a male pastor. So if you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. And that's how it's going to stay because I'm not trying to get sued. Right. Michael is so caught up into the teaching of Marie, she even has him coming to private meetings with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are they doing at those meetings, you asking? Well, it's not what you think. They are sitting across from each other on the days the moon would be full doing the sign of the cross for up to eight hours because they believed it would nullify the evil of the full moon. You know, like, are they going to become werewolves? Right. Oh. <laughs> However, their evil of the full moon group was not lost on the rest of the congregation, and people started to notice that Michael had fallen head over heels in love for Marie. Yeah. So, as I read this, somebody at one point confronts him and says, you know, it's really weird that you are spending a lot of time with Marie. And he was like, well, at first it was for depression, but now it's for more of like a carnal reason. And now I'm more focused on God. We just spend a lot of her and me and God time. Right. Yeah, I'm sure you're praying to God, but not in the way that God wants you to pray to him. Right. His wife, Christine, home alone, has also started to take notice of the amount of time Michael is away. For a man that wasn't so devout before, he sure is now. And when he isn't at the church with Marie, he is depressed, lashing out at the whole family. Christine, being a woman of good sense, decided Marie and the group are a problem, and she is going to confront Michael. As you should. Absolutely. The moment that you have somebody in your life that, like, they can't be around, can't be home because they're going to be depressed the whole time— But then when they're with that other person, they're so, so happy. Something needs to change. Either you need to go to counseling or you need to fix. Something needs to get fixed. And if that thing is the thing that's causing the issue in the relationship, I don't care if it's a church. That needs to go because clearly that's what's causing the divide. Right, right. Your marriage was perfectly fine prior to that. Yes, I understand that he got injured, and yes, there's growing together and things like that. You and I know all about that. But at the same time, we always stayed strong on the whole, like, it may not always be great, but we're not going to come home and be assholes to each other. Right, right. You know, it doesn't mean we don't have our moments, but you get what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I understand. So, Christine and Michael go to the next group meeting together. 
Surprise, surprise. Right. Christine, probably noticing Michael going all goo-goo eyes on Marie again, has decided it's the time and place for her to say something, which she should. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because you're confronting both of them, and you're doing it in front of a crowd of witnesses. So now, you know, and if Christine has, like, taken in any bit of, like, the Christian faith or whatever, typically that is how you're told to confront people, is to have witnesses. And so if you're confronting the two people that you believe are the problem, you should have those other people there. And if they're embarrassed, well, they're embarrassed. (laughs) Maybe they shouldn't be causing the problem. Right. When she does, Michael snaps. He stands up, and instead of walking away, he decides it's time to show the group what he's made of. Now, you'd think he's going to go at Christine. 100%. For, for confronting. Right. No. He grabs Marie and starts to yell at her in tongues before the rest of the congregation can restrain him. As shocked as shocked could be, Marie would later tell people, quote, I suddenly glanced at Mike and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me, and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me, and I just started saying over and over again, Jesus, When Christine heard me calling the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. And I believe firmly that I was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. End quote. So I'm biased already because I've already made up my mind on what I think, you know, because we're going to be discussing. Right, 100%. And uh, maybe save it until the end. Yeah, okay. Because that's for the end. Because we haven't gotten into the rest of it yet. Oh, boy. There is way more to this. Hopefully you can turn it around and make me a believer. Uh, I will say that when I was writing the story and I had the door open, because it's late at night when I was writing this, you were asleep. I had the door open and the cat came in and she like rubbed my leg as I was getting into the part that we're getting ready to get into. And I may or may not have jumped (laughs) about a mile high. (laughs) Michael would later claim he had no memory of any of it. Bullshit. But the prey group sitting there forgetting was not going to come so easy. Someone clearly not believing Marie had the full power she claimed to have. You know, like the whole I can exercise demons. Right. With the look of my bra strap. Right. Called a priest telling Father Peter Vincent they needed help as they believed Michael had been suffering from demonic possession. And on October 5th, 1974, Father Peter decided that him and the rest of the prey group were going to perform an exorcism that would last for eight hours. Gross. Yeah. Leading to Michael thrashing, convulsing, spitting, and even being tied to the floor of the church. I just want to know how you're tying somebody to the floor of the church. (laughs) Like, I read that and I was like, did they like put holes into the floor of the church or how did they is there something already there yeah is this a normal occurrence right uh during during weekends i guess it's a very nice church and then during weekday nights it's a a bdsm BDSM, like uh, 
Dominatrix. God uh, versus Satan. Yes. And it gets real kinky. You know, I'm not yucking nobody's yum, but that does explain a lot of questions I had as to why they were able to tie him to the floor of the church. (laughs) At one point during the exorcism, a crucifix is shoved into Michael's mouth. Giggity. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) And then holy water is dumped all over him. And by October 6th, Father Peter and the rest of the prayer group could no longer continue. Father Peter would tell Michael not to worry. He had gotten out 40 demons from him and that only three were still jammed in him and unwilling to come out. Can any of you callers guess what they might be? I'll give you a second. If you guess the demon of murder, Belbereth, the demon of madness, Jin, and the demon of violence, Hybris, then you would be correct. And yes, callers, that is right. I looked up the names of the demons just for you. And in the show notes, you will be able to find a list of all the demons. Jeez. You know, because nothing is more terrifying at three in the morning than looking up demon names. All right. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there because my mind's already there. Okay. This would just be one really disturbing porn if you take out the the demon factor but we just got this man tied down all these 40 guys got out of him there's still three in there for this man i'm just saying you need extra jesus that's what i'm saying (laughs) okay so going away from your bdsm if i was the father and uh decided that i was done for the night because i've already cast out 40 you know what three i'm not leaving in and letting somebody go home with Violence, murder, and madness. (laughs) Because that is just a combination of bad. And you're then telling him, go ahead, go with your wife, go home. You're okay for now. (laughs) Because we're going to take care of this tomorrow. Yeah, that's some issues. Like, I feel like, I don't, eight hours? You only spent eight hours and cast out 40, but you go on quitsies with three left? Right. Because you're just so exhausted? Right, because eight hours, got 40 of them, so that means you're getting a good uh, five demons out per hour? Right. It ain't going to take you in but less than an hour to get the other oh, three yeah. out. Maybe another 20, 30 minutes. Well, I guess it all depends, because if you look this up, these demons are like your arch demons, so they're supposedly a little bit harder. You guys can all look at it in the show notes. I'm not going to go into a dissertation about demons. That was a rabbit hole that I've went down before. <laughs> You can ask Ryan on a different time. But I'm just saying, I am not, as a person of faith, it doesn't matter if I am the Pope himself going to say, these three right here, they're not going to really be a problem. (laughs) Maybe go home. Right. Like, no, we're going to keep you here. I don't care. I'm tired. Jesus got tired. It's okay. We're going to take care of it. You don't send this person home. Right. So, was there a list of the 40 that he did manage to get out? Like, how does he know it was the 40s demons? Like, did they have to, like, sign out? Be like, oh, now leaving Michael's Michael's body. body. Today's date at this time. No, okay. So, in traditional exorcisms, typically what will happen is you are supposed to have power over the demon's name. And so, you're supposed to tell them, like, I command you spirit by the name of Jesus. Tell me what your name is. They're supposed to give their name. There's like a back and forth, back and forth. 
And so then you get that one out, supposedly. And then it's just this ongoing thing, an ongoing thing. And that That's really what it is. So he never lists the other 40 names that there was. He just said him and the rest of the congregation were there, said that 40 demonic names were given. Right. And that, so he pulled a magic number out of his holy ass and then said, well, 40 is a good number. Well, no, no, no. There <laughs> were, I mean, like, there are other witnesses to this that are... Con- attesting to this exorcism there and it's not just a group of men as you put it it is there is a group of like men and women they are like your higher-ups in the church that are all part of this prayer group that are all buying into michael is possessed and they believe that they got 40 that they got 40 demons out of him and that three have given their names and they are the demon of murder balbareth the demon of manis jen and the demon of violence hybris Gotcha. Because in Catholic faith, typically, there is a book that they would have that they would be able to know the different demonic names. At least that is my understanding. Now, if that is fully true, I don't really know. I'm just going based off of things that I have read. So if any of you know for sure, please write me and correct me, and I will then know. But I'm just going off of things that I've read that they're in their exorcism books, stuff like that. And in classes that they take, they're supposed to know the names. So, as Keith mentioned a little bit ago, that Mike would be sent home together. Well, I guess together and his little three pets. Right. So, technically, there's five of them going home right now. Well, unfortunately for Christine, tomorrow's not going to come. About two hours after Michael and Christine leave the church, the cops patrolling the area would find a naked, bloody man walking at them. That had to have been a... Sight for those cops. You know, I feel like that would be the most terrifying thing. Every time we have talked about, either on the show or we have seen, like, somebody's naked and they're bloody, I feel like my hair would light on fire instantly. I would be screaming around the yard, terrified, because that scares me. Right. You imagine a naked, bloody man body would be on the floor dead. But the fact that there's one walking towards you? Right. Means something really bad has happened. Fuck that. Well, it's Michael Taylor. Well, who would have guessed? Right. The cops, after getting Michael into an ambulance, rushed to the Taylor home only to find... The cops are already there. So we got a double set of cops showing up. Yes, we do. Neighbors had heard noises and called the police. A crime inspector outside is telling the others, quote, You don't want to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before. And I've seen a few. It's the wife. She's got no... He's ripped her at her son. It's a right mess in there. There's not much of her left. You don't want to see it, eh? End quote. That is when the cops on the scene said they saw the crime inspector doubled over and vomited in the yard. The police on the scene would later call this the worst crime scene that they have ever worked. I mean... I just read ahead, so yeah, I, I can see that. It's it's a good one. Yeah, it's, it's bad. We need the rest of you to kind of hang on while we get through this, because it's bad. Right. So, so brace yourselves. This is where it may be getting a little nasty. Right. I'm going to try to get through it as quickly and painlessly as possible, so that way we can just kind of get it out of our minds. Michael had attacked Christine, removing her eyes and tongue before ripping her face off of her skull. He then strangled the family dog. 
He tore the dog apart limb from limb and then began throwing the pieces around and covering the whole house in blood. Michael, being bloody and naked, as we said, has been taken to the local hospital where the cops are now all too curious about what happened and definitely want to talk to him about it. Yeah, I would too. Well, yeah. (laughs) However, all he would say to the cops over and over again was, quote, Released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. When told of the state that they found his wife in, Michael would say that he has no memory of it and then repeat again, Released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. End quote. Okay, so I don't know about you, but that part is terrifying to me. What evil in her? Right. Because he's the one that's went for the exorcism. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, is he now having... <laughs> I just don't get that part. I And I looked for a long time to see why he kept saying that. No motive was ever given for him on why he attacked his wife. Literally, every time they would talk to him about his wife, he would repeat this quote. Yeah, I think I think we all know the motive, but he just don't want to admit it. Right. So, we know that clearly he is in the hospital. He is now in the police custody in the hospital. Can you please, Ryan, for the love of God, get me to the trial? Yeah, let's do it. Even though the defense didn't want to say Michael was possessed, they did want to blame anyone but Michael for his actions that night. So, who else do you blame? The priest and that small prayer group, of course. The defense said that the group had exasperated an already cracking mind, and he cast doubt on the possession theory by calling it, quote, neurotics feeding neurosis to a neurotic. So, in general terms, it was madness feeding into madness, leading to madness. Yeah, pretty much. So, the jury would end up acquitting for reason of insanity, and he would be forced to receive psychiatric care for four years before being released back into public. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's just, where where do you, like, end with that, I guess, is, I got I want to know your, your opinion on this one. I think this Michael Taylor is the biggest weasel who played the system to the most extreme level and won. I don't know if I saw him being a weasel, or if I think that he believed he was possessed. I I kind of almost agree with the defense on this one, that there was a bit of madness there already, and that group fed into his madness, which then caused a maddening effect to him. And typically, I'm not like the one to be like, oh, the defense was completely right on this one. I, I think they're right on this. I didn't see any proof as I was reading it outside of the group, which I guess take them with a grain of salt on what they saw, what they didn't see. They're holding somebody down on the church floor for eight hours. That in and of itself is strange to me. And then you're waterboarding him in a way. I understand that it's holy water, but you're essentially <laughs> waterboarding him. And then the whole shoving a crucifix into his throat That was a little weird to me. All I thought was, are you gagging on Jesus? Oh, God. Yeah, but you had already gone that far, so I was not going to add into that anymore. (laughs) But, yeah. So, 
me being off of work for fucking ever, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of time to read and, and, you know, become a little smarter. You read? Well, the callers don't know that. Oh, okay. But now let me throw a different case scenario at you, okay? Yes. Had Michael not gone super extreme and just killed her and then called the police over and said... I've ripped my my wife's and, face yeah, off. Yeah, and then, but just said, she's really, I killed the evil, she's released. Had he just killed her? They would not have bought that for a second. No, and And see, I think he's done his research and have found out cases or heard of or libraried uh, different cases where he's like, they just didn't go extreme enough. So if I go super fucking extreme, I can get out of it and then go to my lovely Marie. See, okay, so I have a counterpoint to that. And that is, this is one of the first cases actually where any bit of demonic possession is brought into it and even the defense was like we're not going with that we're not talking about that like yeah there were character witnesses from the church that had said what they saw you know throughout that 24-hour period because they clearly that's coming up in an investigative report and the jury is going to see that so as a good defense, you're going to want to bring those people in to say, hey, what happened in those 24 hours? So I, I can see them nixing the whole possession thing. Truly, though, I think he was just a very, I, we hear this all the time, and I know that we say this all the time, like, this is so annoying and it's such a trope. I think he was a very average looking man that got injured, didn't know how to get out of it, found a pretty woman that was giving him attention that his wife wasn't giving him at the time. Why? Not to her fault, because she's caring for five children, taking care of her husband who is now injured and doesn't have a job, and running a whole household on her own. So, no, he's not getting that attention, so he's going to look for it somewhere else. But I think that had he never met Marie, who gave him that type of influence of demonic anything, because you got to remember... They're doing this for eight hours at a time where him and her are sitting in a a room and people have caught them praying for eight hours doing that whole like sign of the cross because they thought the full moon was coming after them. And so I think he wanted that attention from somebody and got that attention from somebody and went hook, line and sinker for it and bought into anything that Marie was going to tell him. Right. Yep. And so that caused him to believe he was possessed. And so he believed he was possessed, so he was possessed. And because other people believed it with him, it almost makes the whole fantasy and delusion real. Okay. So just black and white answer, Keith. Was he possessed or not? No. I concur. No. I I think there will come in time with this podcast that you and I might both say, maybe. (laughs) I know that you will be a harder sell than I will, but this case, 100%, no, he is not possessed. He's delusioned, and he's buying into a delusion. Yes, absolutely. But again, that is our opinions. If you do not like our opinion, make your own damn podcast. Right. I mean, I I guess I don't know what else to tell them. Yeah, make your come on to the show. Make your own podcast. I don't know. But it it is really just my opinion. Overall, what do you, because I wrote this one this time, what do you think about the story and this case? For me, 110% bull. Like, he's he's not possessed. He's finding those loopholes and right, and you are the shit out of the loopholes, so... I mean, so, I don't want to scare you, but just playing in my head, what he did is exactly how I would have done it. Oh, if you were going to, like, claim Lose shit like my that? shit and go crazy? 
Oh, yeah. To justify a murder? I would, yeah. I'd be smearing the babies all over the floor and all over the walls mm, and going apeshit crazy. I know, but that's just because that's so fucking sick and crazy and right, insane. Right, so out of your normal of what And it was probably out do. of his normal. He probably don't normally rip people's faces off and tear animals apart limb from limb. Right. So, of course. That was a little poodle. <laughs> oh, but of course, people would think you are fucking crazy. Right. And compared to just him. murdering her, then you're not as crazy. Right. And my thing is, is he was naked. So, like, he took all of his clothes off. Well, and part all... of me wonders if, like, maybe he thought he was going to get away with it. Right. Well, showing up bloody naked is a lot crazier than seeing a full clothed man with a knife. Well, no, no, no. What I'm <laughs> saying is, okay. So, what if he had taken off his clothes and attacked his wife and did what he did because he thought he would get away with it, but the cops, because the neighbors being neighborly, heard some real weird shit going on next door and said, hey, I'm calling the cops on this. Michael and Christine don't ever fight like this, and here they are fighting. Something bad is happening. I need to call the cops, because clearly... I'm not trying to be gross, but when you're ripping somebody's eyeballs out, they're going to scream. <laughs> when you're ripping their tongue out, they're going to scream as loud as they can until they don't have a tongue. And if they're ripping their face off, because I don't know which way he did it, it doesn't say they don't know. There is going to be a lot of screaming involved. It doesn't For matter. Sure. So I think had the neighbors not done the right neighborly thing in this moment and called the cops, I think this whole story would have been far different. Yeah, possibly. Because I think he was, I think his plan truly was to run off with Marie, but he may have already fucked that one up when he decided to attack her instead of attacking Christine. Yeah, possibly. Which possibly. to me was just weird in and of itself there too. Why are you attacking Christine? Or is that just another play? I think it was all play from the start, from when he met Marie. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think it was 100% he played them and almost played the jury, it feels like. <laughs> I think he did. Because now he's out, like he was out four years later. Right. And I did look up, he had never had any more incidences after that, but he also wasn't with Marie either. I did look that up too, to see if they were dating well, or if he they also got married. He also didn't have to deal with his wife anymore either. Right, but he still has those five kids. And that's my question too. Does where he? We're, yeah. I would say the state would have taken them away. Well, a family member did, but I'm just saying. Did um, he go and get them back, do you know? No, he did not get them back. So he doesn't have the kids. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess. But my question is, is where were the kids that night? Good question. Because when, like, when I looked it up, I couldn't find anything out about where the kids were, what was going on. I feel like there was far more to the story that was left out because they wanted to almost sensationalize it than tell all of the details. Well, so there you have it. Season four, episode one opener. Yeah, I was happy with it. I hope yeah. you're happy with it. I was happy with it. Hopefully the callers were happy with it. I'm sure they will be because we've been gone for a week and it's an episode. Like always, we have talked about abuse and mental health. So we are going to give you callers those numbers. So if you or anyone you know is suffering from a mental health problem or you or yourself are being abused, you can get help. The number for domestic violence is 800-799-7233. Again, that number is 800-799-7233. Also, the number for mental health is 988. 
That's the new mental health suicide prevention number that they came out with that we talked about last month. Correct? Correct. Well, it came out back in July. But July, again, right. these are for inside the continental U.S. Yes, right. I understand. As we were in England. Right. And I understand that we were in England, but these are for here in the United States. I have not been able to find the numbers for different regions yet. So if any of you do know those numbers, because we know that we have callers from overseas, please send them to us so we can add them into our directory to get those numbers out to other people. Again, thank you all so much for listening to the first episode of Season 4, The Devil Made Me Do It. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find us and leave us those five-star reviews. You can find us on TikTok at Call Us When Dead, where you can see videos of us or the cute little animals. Maybe the cat holding a knife. Who knows? <laughs> you can also find us on Facebook at Call Us Dead, or you can email us at callusdead at yahoo.com. And let us know what you feel about the case. Or if you want to say hi, suggest cases, you know how that spiel goes. Yep, same as always. But until then, remember to stay strong. Do everything with love. No, there's always hope. And in case you forget, you can always call, call us when, when you're, you're dead. dead.